0: Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your went. You can scream and you can holler. It really does. Hi, matter. folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of it the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, Dictated a little bit differently today I'm actually working from my home office uh, My first day back at work And I'm not even going in Because it is rainy and icy out there And with a 50 plus mile commute It's just not safe to be on the roads today When I can do everything remotely from home anyway uh, That means that I get to uh, be a little bit more relaxed In my podcasting today Hopefully maybe a little bit more accurate And uh, remember always My podcast is One Man's Opinion You're free to disagree, dissent Do whatever you like uh, in response Response to what I have to say, and I welcome your opinions, I welcome your critiques, and I welcome your criticisms. I even welcome your debates. I may not agree with them, but that doesn't mean that I don't welcome them or appreciate them. So, if you wanted to get back in touch with me or you wanted to uh, dissent, how would you do that? Since this isn't your conventional talk radio show. Uh, this is a kind of a one-way direction, uh, at least as it's broadcast, uh, because I do not take callers or things like that, because I just don't have the ability or time to do that right now. Being that I mostly podcast mobile uh, from my car in the mornings, so. If you want to, uh, to give me that opinion, there's several ways to do it. One, if you want to email me directly, you can do that at jack at com. That is jack at com. You can go by my blog where I publish my shows on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, when I'm not on vacation like I just was. And you can comment on the individual episodes of the blog, or you can use my contact form there. Those are all ways to interact with me quite personally. And I also very much recommend that you maybe take your comments, suggestions, etc to the forum. I may not see every post on our forum, but there are almost a 1,000 members there, so you will get a discussion going, and if it hits enough traction, I will see it. I try to get on there daily, but there are thousands of posts, so I do not read them all. So those are your ways. And the forum is at the thesurvivalpodcast.com, and just click on forum, and you can go there. So um, my regular list- listeners would know that I actually... Uh, was on vacation for over a week. I took from the twenty third or the twenty fourth I did a Christmas special show on the twenty fourth It was a little bit different and today is January the fifth I believe it is a monday and this is episode one hundred and sixteen it 's my first show uh, back at the ranch, so to speak and uh, what we were doing on vacation is we went up to Arkansas for the vast majority of we spent Christmas and the day after at home and then we just got home yesterday. And uh, I've got my little bug-out location up there that actually is planned for a big bug-out one day, which will be when we leave our little suburban abode here in Texas and, and go there permanently. And, of course, it's there and available to us if we ever needed to get out of Dodge for some sort of catastrophe or something in our area here. So it serves two purposes. And while we were up there, we had a couple little things that we did that, uh, that made me think of a topic for today's show, which is going to be making do with what you have and getting by. and uh, So let me kind of give you the scenario of what we were in store for when we first got up there. Um, one of the things I'm blessed with in that area, it, most of the time I would consider it a blessing, is that I have a well. I'm not dependent on city water. In fact, if I wanted city water in that location, I could not get it. I've been meaning to get some sort of mechanical actuator for the well pump, so at least I could pump some water if I have to, uh, that is now higher on my priority list. And I don't have a really advanced rain catch system up there yet as a backup, but I do have some rain catch uh stuff in place, and it was a good thing because we got there, we turned on the faucet, and about three drops of water came out of the faucet and not another drop of water. We got there on a Saturday. And it had just been freezing a lot. So there were a lot of broken pipes and things like that. It was my first thought that maybe something, uh, that our, our light bulb that we keep inside our well house uh, had gone out or something. I opened the well house. Nothing was frozen or broken. There was no reason for the water not to flow from that standpoint. But we couldn't get anybody out there. And wells are something I'm not real familiar with. So we had to wait on a repairman who didn't get there till Monday. So it we went Saturday, Sunday, and most of Monday, in fact, all of Monday, because they didn't get fixed till actually, Tuesday morning, they had to get a part for us, which I'm going to order. Or a backup part when I tell you what this little current was. There's a controller box uh, that runs the well. And it had actually taken a lightning strike to the ground that had shorted it out. So we went three days without water. Uh, we do have some water stored, and we just uh, used that water for our drinking, our cooking, and, and washing our dishes. And we used rain catch water for um, doing things like flushing the toilet. And... You know, it was actually kind of an adventure, and for three days we took baths. My wife and I would get a jug of our stored water, and we would dump about half of it into a bowl. We would, uh, microwave it so it wasn't so cold, uh, put it back in the jug, and then we would pour it over each other's heads, and, uh, we'd wash our hair that way over the tub. We plugged the tub up, we would use that water then to, uh, to bathe, uh, kind of taking an army bath, and, uh, use some fresh water to rinse off after that. It actually worked out pretty well. And it kind of made us run a little drill. And uh, if you go back into the very early archives of the show, you'll see I did a show called The Survival Drill, checking your your capability or uh, checking your vulnerability. And uh, we've done that. We've never really done it with water, though. And uh, it was interesting to see how much water we really used and we've decided to up our water storage up there and to uh when we go back the next time to put some effort into maybe putting a little bit more rain catchability uh into the property but we sailed right through it with no problems whatsoever but it was kind of an adventure and uh it makes you think and it might be something that you might want to run a drill with you know just Go two days without using water from your faucet and see what you have to deal with. And People have gotten on me on the past because they think that I don't put a high enough priority on water, and and that's never been the case. I think water is the the most important aspect of your survival. You can make do uh, without shelter for a time if it's not too cold uh, outside, and you can generally improvise some sort of a shelter. Uh, You can make do without food for several days. People have gone on hunger strikes and made it months. Uh, probably not a good idea, but you could. You go without water for 48 hours, and you're really close to death. All right, And a lot of the things that you store, you need water to cook them and prepare them. So water's high on the priority list for me. And what I've always said is one of the greatest investments you can make in your property is an above-ground pool. Now, they don't have the highest resale values, and if you have a really big estate or something like that, it may actually be detrimental to your resale value, and you might go with an in-ground pool. But there's a reason I'm a big believer in above-ground pools. It is simply because if you have flooding, the flooding has to get high enough to go over the walls of the pool and then by contaminate your pool water with groundwater. So it leaves you water uh, that can be boiled and used then used for drinking or cooking if you have to, but it's a massive amount of water that can be used for bathing and it can be used for flushing toilets. And let me tell you, having the rain catch system in place and being able to flush our toilets during those three days was a big deal for us up there. So what does this have to do with making do with what you have? Well, it's exactly what we did there, but we were a little bit prepared. Uh but one of the things that we did, though, to get some extra rain catch water, we just happened to get there when it was raining. And we had brought in a wheelbarrow with us. And the wheelbarrow was mainly to move some rocks around, which I'll talk about in a second. Something else we did and another making do with what you got. But I don't have on the front of the house. I don't have uh, rain gutters. I just have regular. The water just flows off of there. I haven't gotten around to putting gutters on it yet. And uh, as long as we're not actually living there, it's not real high on the priority list of some other things we have to do. Uh, but the roof does come down to a point, so I put the rain, the the wheelbarrow directly under where that point was. And we actually used instead of our regular rain catch, we actually used the water from the wheelbarrow, just the wheelbarrow, uh, uh, to do flushing the toilets uh, for two days. So we could have gotten by with two days with just the water from the rain, even without going anywhere and picking water up. And as our jugs got depleted, we actually never really ran out of what we had. We had enough to get through. But we took the empty jugs down to Hot Springs, and uh, they have a little place where people get the mineral water from the Hot Springs right there. So we refilled there, and it made me realize something else we could make do with in that area. Uh, there would always be a supply of clean, drinkable water in Hot Springs. The, uh, the place you go get the water from, from in town, uh, unless there was just a catastrophic thing where you couldn't go into town because, you know, there was uh, danger or something, that water is pressurized by the spring itself. So unless the the spring that's been running for 50,000 years, um, you know, peters out, um, there's always going to be water there. So that was another get by. But, you know, just setting something up like a wheelbarrow. So, you know, think about that. If you get into a situation where your water's compromised, uh, just immediately start thinking, what's outside of my property, even if it's an apartment that's fairly large that I can catch some rain in, and where can I place it to catch some rain, even if I don't have a proper catch system? So that was kind of cool as well. The other thing that we did up there, and this was our main project uh, for going up there this time, was we started building some raised beds out of rock uh, for our farming efforts when we eventually relocate there. Obviously, we're not going to plant crops when we're up there maybe once or once a month or once every two months right now, because uh, there's no one there to take care of them and water them and do the things that are needed. What is needed to do now, though, is to start getting the ground prepared. So here is how we did this and i'll post some pictures of the work that we did and i think you guys will find it interesting how we're doing this right now and how we'll be able to build one or two of these raised beds every time we go up there now we're not putting the soil in them yet kind of tell you what we're doing with that eventually. Uh, but what we're doing is we're killing the, the, the native grasses and bushes and weeds that are in those areas uh, and we're laying them out. And all we're really doing is we're going on our own property and some other you know uh, property that we have permission to access out there and there are stones and rocks and it's kind of almost it looks very similar to Kentucky Bluestone uh, these rocks except it's not flat like that. Uh, these are bigger more like uh, mini boulders so to speak. And I bet you we moved about three to four tons of rock uh, during that week, my wife, my son, and myself. And, uh, what we, you know, that rock is just there. So instead of going out and buying landscape timbers or railroad ties or, you know, cinder block or using cedar board or something like that, why not just use the rock? Now, it's actually a lot more work. It's a lot more work to build retaining walls out of heavy rock that you have to handle, I guess four times, because this is what we would do. We would drive to an area where the rock was, and the rock's obviously these are sitting in the road, the dirt road that's been plowed, a little bit on the edge, but most of it's kind of off the road. So one or two of us would go into the woods and toss rocks out onto the road, and then the others would grab the rocks and load them in the truck. So now that rock's been handled twice. Then we would take it to our property, we would unload the truck and into big, medium, and small rocks. So you you know so that's the third time, and then they're placed into the wall. So that's a fourth time. So you move you know six thousand pounds of rock, which is probably a pretty accurate guess to how much rock we moved, uh, and you do that four times, and that works out to twelve tons of rock uh, being moved. Uh, so it was kind of a lot of effort, but it was fun, and we enjoyed it, and uh, we got. Two completed and one almost completed. We almost made three raised beds. They're fairly large. Again, I'll try to post some pictures of them. And then what we did is we laid down a layer of newspaper and covered that with about three inches of cypress mulch. Now, our only goal with this right now is to completely kill and choke off all the plant life that's inside those beds to cause it to rot, to attract earthworms and microbes into the area, to break the soil down and to start improving the soil. And then what we'll actually probably do next is when we go back, we will then lay a layer about two inches deep of compost down on top of the mulch that's already there. We'll layer another layer of uh, newspaper down. We'll do this, you know, in a following trip. And then on top of that newspaper, we'll lay another thin layer of mulch. That whole thing will start to create a layering effect, and at that point, we'll have about six inches of depth. And we'll probably still turn that. And uh, So, you know, again, though, this is making do with what we have. What, what did we use? We used mulch, uh, which we did have to buy. I just didn't have time to, to, to take a shredder up there and, and use the stuff that's on hand, which is probably what we'll do in the future. Um, but otherwise, it's just basically rocks that we picked up, we eyeballed it, we outlined it and those uh the the sidewalls when you look at the pictures maybe we might go one you know one layer further out to make them a little wider and then build them one more layer up but that's not necessary yet. Uh right now all we have all we're really worried about is killing that ground and getting our implant. So our plan is every time we go up to our bug out location we build one or two more of these things and by the time that we relocate there and they we're probably looking at another year before we actually completely relocate there. Um, at that point, we should have the entire front uh, loaded with these raised beds. And I'm, I'm talking, by the time we're done with this, we'll probably have about, I would say, 25 uh, beds. And they're roughly 4 to 5 feet wide. Uh, you know, they'll change in size and they're kind of oddly shaped so that they're kind of creative and blended with the land and create trails in between them. Uh, but they're probably about, you know, four to five feet wide. And I would say we're, we're building them around 12 feet long. So that's an awful lot of cultivation that we're going to have available to us. We'll be able to plant vegetables, uh, but we'll also do a lot of herbs and, and, and companion planting with uh, with the garden. And on top of that, the other thing that we're going to be doing there is planting a lot of permaculture crops. We have a place spaced out and planned already for a big strawberry patch, and we have a place planned out uh, for a large patch of asparagus. So those are some things that we've been doing up there, and those are the things that got me thinking about you know Maybe we just needed to talk a little bit today in uh, my first show getting back about some of the ways you can make do with what you have available to yourself. And here's just some examples of what I mean by that here's a typical email that i'll get from somebody uh jack yeah we've been uh, enjoying your show what have you and uh, thanks for what you're doing uh, we'd like to do more but here's our situation we have a typical suburban lot we have you know a quarter of an acre uh, we live in the city you know, there's no place for us to bug out to and uh, we store some food and we store some money and we're trying to pay off our debt but other than that we feel kind of stuck i mean what can we do well I'd say, well, let's start looking about that quarter acre of dirt around your property and let's start assessing your needs. Um, is it as ideal to be in suburbia as it is to be out in the country? Well, first of all, I'd say that's up to you. I've said this before and I've talked about finding a location or improving your retreat or hardening a property or creating sustainability, but it's up to you really how to answer that question. If you have a great fear that we're going to have a major societal breakdown and your only escape is to get far out into the wilderness, then you probably need to do that for an emotional state if you really believe that. If you're less concerned, and I'm less concerned about roving hordes, I've talked about this before, then you know maybe you make a go of it in in suburbia. And even if you're not going to live there permanently, it's a lot better to be prepared in suburbia than to be unprepared in suburbia. In fact, I would say it's better to be prepared in suburbia than to be unprepared out in the sticks. In fact, it might be better to be unprepared in suburbia than unprepared in the sticks. You know, we learned that this weekend when our water was out. If we had a place that was on the city water in Hot Springs, we wouldn't have had a problem. Other than if our pipes would have burst, and even with that, it would have been much easier for us to, you know, maybe uh, uh, figure out where we could access some water from than being way up in our little mountain retreat. Now, I won't trade the two. I, I I want that remoteness, but it's really up to you. But what could you do with that quarter acre in suburbia? Well, one that's plenty of room. Absolutely, Plenty of room to plant a few raised beds and start growing some of your own food. It's also plenty of room to maybe start planting some fruit trees and some fruiting shrubs. And I've been getting just a slew of my gardening and nursery catalogs in, and I've been doing a lot of reading. And, you know, I'm starting to find some things that... Uh, are pretty cool and maybe I'll do a show about some of them this week. Uh, but one of them is, uh, several different varieties of cherries that grow basically on a bush and they'll start producing in only two years. Uh, and one of them actually will produce its first year. It's not going to produce a big crop, but it'll produce its first year. Only grows about six foot high, branches out into, you know, kind of a bushy, uh, hedgerow type of habitat so that you know, you don't end up with, uh, with this huge tree that you can't pick or you don't really need a big area for, it, but you get a fairly good yield. Uh, so there's always room to plant bushes and shrubs. Uh, blueberries are another thing that you can generally plant a blueberry bush, uh, maybe a couple raspberry bushes. So, you know, there's, there's that whole you know, eco-farming, uh, suburban micro-farming, and suburban permaculture aspect of what you can do. But there's some other things that you can do, too. Unless, apparently, if you live in the state of Colorado, you might get in trouble for doing this. I guess if somebody reports you, or you don't... I, I, my understanding of the Colorado law is most property owners actually do have water rights on their property. Uh But for my folks in Colorado, you're going to have to check this before you do this. But it, your house has four walls, and above your four walls is a roof. And that roof has a massive amount of capability to catch rainwater. So it, it's a very reasonable thing for you to set up some rain barrels. And let's say you don't have a lot of money and you can't invest in these great big heavy-duty rain barrels. You know what holds an awful lot of water? A $10, 32-gallon garbage can that you can buy at Walmart. for It's like $9.96. I just bought one uh, recently, not really to catch rain, but I've actually filled it with water. And uh, I put it out of my greenhouse, and I've used it as a heat sink out there because they're black. So that is a really low-cost way to store a very significant amount of water. Uh, that'll flush the toilet an awful lot of times, which that type of water is is one of the things you can do. Uh, if you have a place to store several of them, one thing you, you need to realize is that water is pretty cheap. And while you may not always have the water coming out of your faucet now, there's nothing wrong with taking the water out of your faucet now, putting it into something to store, uh like a couple big uh trash cans, and storing it somewhere where it's safe. And understanding that that water stored outside in a trash can is probably not going to be the best water to drink. You could purify it if you had to, but again, it's sure good for things like bathing uh, and uh, if it's kept clean and, and, and sanitary and for doing things like flushing the toilets and just a little bit of bleach in a, a barrel like that uh, will keep it at least sanitary enough for bathing for quite a long time. So, you know, there's another thing that you could do, but it it just really doesn't end there. There's there is really no place on this earth that you can be that you can't increase your preparedness or your sustainability. And the the number one asset that you have as a survivalist is your mindset. And that and your your ability to be creative with your mind. And that is something you really need to focus on. You need to start looking at everything that you own, every piece of space that you have available to, and what could you do with it. And if you do it smart, if you do it the right way, even if you're planning to eventually leave, and here's what I mean by that. You might, if you were living out in your your ideal bug-out location, out in the country where people expect things to be country-like, you might build raised beds one way, out of, let's say, mountain stone that's available to you. And if you came to my property in Arkansas and you looked at the, the stone uh, raised beds that we built, even if you weren't a uh, typical uh, vegetable garden, if you just wanted to throw flowers and stuff out there, it would fit the scenery so well and be so perfect uh, that it would fit in and it would make sense. Now, if I hauled that kind of rock here to Texas and did it in my backyard, uh, a lot of people here expect a green, you know, grass filled yard it may actually be detrimental to my resale potential for the house so we did our gardens here with uh, landscaping timbers the reason we did that it would be very easy if someone didn't want them to disassemble them Spread the dirt out, throw down some grass seed, and reseed the yard. It would be far more difficult to get rid of, you know, six tons of rock, uh, to encompass the area that I've, that I've done and have planned to do with my raised beds. So you can think about that as well. And if you do it right, what you'll be able to do is the improvements you make to your property will increase your property value. You just need to think about them and think, how do I fit this in? You know, because the person that buys in suburbia, where you might be today, may want something different different than you do. So how do you make it functional for you but advantageous for them? Alright, so again, a swimming pool. Right? A swimming pool is a great way to store water. Now, don't go in debt to it. Don't go in hog for it. Don't put in a $25,000 in-ground pool that's not going to add to the value of your house, especially if you're sitting in a house that's maybe worth a hundred or $150,000. It's probably not going to escalate the value of the house much because the house has a ceiling that no matter what you do to it, uh, it can only be worth so much. Uh, but it is something to consider. Now, I've heard real estate agents say that pools do not add value to houses. Uh, especially, you know, because some people don't want them, but some people do want them. So that's complete crap. Every real estate appraisal that I've ever seen of a house with a pool had the pool and had a value associated that increased the value of the home. Um, every home that I've sold with a pool, uh, the buyer was motivated by the fact that there was a pool. Now, will some people walk in and go, "I have a little kid, I can't have a pool"? Sure. But some people are gonna walk in and go, your house is made out of brick that's pink, and I don't like pink brick. Your house has uh, siding instead of, uh, instead of, uh, uh, you know, wood siding instead of vinyl, and I want vinyl. So no matter what you do to a house, there's always going to be something that somebody's not going to like. What you have to do is go for the broadest appeal you can. And what I can tell you, in my experience anyway, is that pools have a fairly broad appeal. You want to make sure it's sparkling blue when your house is on display, and if you do that. Uh, and one of the things that I've heard somebody do recently uh, to make sure that their house sold better with a pool is they put together a book that explained the entire maintenance schedule to the pool on, you know, the first day of the month you do this, the 10th the, the, the day of the month you do this, the, the 20th day and the 30th day. And it's really not that much work to maintain a pool. Someone that's never had one before might think that it is. And uh, you take that book and you take enough chemicals uh, to last your pool at least six months and you leave, you have them in a, you know, your storage shed or whatever and you present that as part of the package that here's your instructions and here's your chemicals and when a real estate agent or you yourself walk the, the potential buyer through the home, when they pick that book up and they see it's, it's basically a page, you know, in a binder so that it looks good uh that if this is all you have to do to to maintain a pool great, okay, now I'm a little bit more excited about having a pool, so a pool uh is something that maybe it's not a make do with what you have, but if it's something you want. It has the side benefit of this added water storage. I have about 20,000 gallons. I have a very large above-ground pool. I have about 20,000 gallons of water in it. Uh, it's more money to maintain because you have to use more chemicals. If you do your chemicals by the gallon. But boy, is it an insurance policy. And anything short of a tornado... Uh, I'm going to have that water, you know, if the tornado hits it might blow the sidewall of the pool out uh, but I've got bigger problems in that case anything short of that, even a flood if we get a flood here that's big enough to go over the 5 foot walls of my pool I've got real problems because we're actually uh, a fairly high part of elevation for the Arlington area, uh, that would mean that most of Arlington's houses are covered up to uh second story roof levels, just based on the elevation change, so uh, that's that's another thing to consider is, you know, that pool. Uh, there's just a ton of things, though, that you can always be looking for. How can I improve uh, what I have, where I'm at, w- what I'm doing? Uh, some of them would You know, look, look at things you can do to increase your money, right? Reduce your expenses. That increases your money. And one of the simple projects, I've talked about this before, this is so, so simple to do, is to take a good, high-quality garden hose, maybe 100 feet, place it in a coil on the sunniest part of your roof, run pipe down to your hot water heater, and you can even hire a plumber to do the last part. Okay, All you do is you take the intake side, where the water goes into your hot water heater, and you disconnect that, and you connect that to one side. You pump the water from the water supply up onto the roof, through the garden hose, back down, and then into your water heater. So it's simply going through the hose before it goes into the water heater. Now, this is not a high-tech solution. It's not a high-dollar solution, but it's a very effective solution. You do that, and what you end up with, and you have to think about this, it's not a constant flow of water. That water goes up there, it sits in the hose. Okay. Once the hot water heater is full, that water stays in the hose. When the water heater begins to drain down because you're using your hot water, Water's coming out of that hose. And during the summertime, in most of the United States, that water will be scalding hot when it goes into the hot water heater. That means your hot water heater will work less, expend less energy, and you'll save money. You can do that whether you have a gas hot water heater or an electric hot water heater. Either way, you're going to either use less gas or less electricity. The cost of that is the cost of a good, and you need to get a good one, a good, solid, black 100 foot hose. You might pay 50 to 100 dollars for, I mean, because this is going to be holding water on your roof, right? So you want it, and it's going to be up there in the elements. You're going to want the best quality you can get. And maybe an hour of a plumber's time, which will cost you 50 to 100 bucks. So somewhere between 100 and 200 dollars along with maybe some piping to get the water up and down, because maybe you're not going to run the hose all the way, depending on if there hot water heaters on one side of the house and the hose really needs to be on the other side, you might use some PVC piping to make your connections or what have you. But all in all, you can't really spend more than $250 to get this done. And it will save you $250 a year easily. Uh, so it will pay itself back very quickly just because you won't be heating that water. Now, if you live by yourself and you're one person and uh, you don't take a lot of long showers, maybe it's not a financial payback. Uh, but if you have a family of four, I can't see this thing not paying off for you. There's other ways to do it to make it more efficient. I've seen people build a very simple box, fill it up with painted black Large PVC pipe with interlocking pieces, uh, and then pump the water out and put a piece of glass over, it and it's uh, it actually heats more water. I wouldn't even believe that it gets the water much hotter. I've felt water that comes out of a black garden hose in the sun, and it's very hot. So uh, there's you know there's another make do with what you have that just about anybody anywhere other than maybe an apartment dweller can do. You know, and I've said this before, but no matter where you live, container gardening is always an option. Um, Right now, on my windowsill in my home office, I have, uh, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven pots uh, that have just been planted. Everything else that's sprouted and growing is out in my greenhouse. But if this was all I had, I could actually fit another two, three, four, five, six, seven, probably eight pots. I've got some uh, round uh, 10-inch pots, and uh, I've got one long window box. And here's what I have planted. In one of the large pots, I have Swiss chard and, and beets planted together because they'll grow just fine together, and their leaves are quite similar uh, for greens. Uh, eventually, when I'm done harvesting it, uh, I'll pull the beets. They'll never get that large because they're kind of compacted in there with the chard, uh, but I'll have little baby beets that, that will get eaten. In the window box, I have a huge mesclun uh, salad mix, and that came from a bur- Burpee's uh, mesclun mix, which has about six plants in it. And I've also added to it some things like endive and escarole and and rocket uh, salad, so uh, and and some spinach. So I've upped that. Then in my other uh, one, two, three, five, uh, uh, seven-inch pots, uh, one is planted with uh, an Asian variety of spinach. One is planted with endive, one is planted with escarole, one is planted with garden cress, and one is part planted with arugula. So I have all that uh, just on my window alone, and that window doesn't get a lot of sunshine. Uh, so once these plants sprout and get a start, I'll actually move them out into the greenhouse where they'll get more sun, and they're all fairly cold-hardy, at least protected in a greenhouse, so that'll work there. But even if I did not have a greenhouse, I could double my production with what I have here, I could go out to a store, I could buy a couple light fixtures uh, with uh, with grow lights, you know, full spectrum UV uh, fluorescence, and hang grow lights. I'm probably going to do that in this area anyway. I'm probably going to make that step so I can grow some other warm weather stuff and uh, protect it better than my greenhouse can in the winter. At least get a really early start to some of the warm weather stuff that will get moved out to the garage. And you can get, I just found, they're called grow lights, and they're at um, Walmart. They're about ten bucks. They're a two foot full spectrum UV fluorescent light with fixture for ten dollars. Alright. Is it a great grow light? No. Is it the best? No. Will one of them grow a lot? No. But you go buy four of them for forty bucks, build them into a four foot long fixture and hang them over something and you'll get some real traction with that. So it's another low cost alternative. Make do with what you have. Uh, Another form of container gardening that I'm going to work on very, very soon is strawberry planting. And strawberries can be grown in just about any kind of container. I've seen them grown in strawberry pots or strawberry jars, as they're called, which if you go to a garden center, these big, tall jars with multiple holes in the sides of them, I've seen them just grown in large hanging baskets. Uh, I've seen them grown in half barrels. I've seen them grown just about any way you can imagine. I came up with an idea, though. I saw in one of my gardening catalogs a greenhouse container for growing strawberries and it was pretty dad gone simple it was a very large piece i would say it's probably a six inch round piece of pvc pipe it's about four feet long it has a bunch of holes drilled in it that are big enough to get a strawberry plant into uh, and fill with dirt it has a piece of soaker hose that runs down the entire length of it so it's very easy to water and then the top of the soaker hose has a fitting on it that sticks out the top. And when you want to water it, you just screw it in there. And then that, since they're, you can hang them, you can take them out into the sunshine and the day to day, uh, weather in the warm, seasons, and then you take them into your greenhouse in the cold season to protect them. You plant them with what's called an ever-bearing strawberry. Now, an ever-bearing strawberry, once it starts to bear, it will bear constantly if it's kept warm, watered, and fertilized. All right, That's all you got to do, and you'll have a constant supply of strawberries. And it might produce better in July than it will in November, but if you keep it warm, and you keep it with sun and warm and, and watered, it will continue to produce. You can have strawberries all year long. So my thought was, well, these things aren't real pretty. They're kind of ugly, and my wife's big on aesthetics. So why not build out of wood a strawberry tower? And I'm thinking something with maybe a 2.5-foot square big pot at the bottom, and that would make one tier, and then a maybe 7 by 7 or 8 by 8 tower that goes up to the top. Uh, build that about 4 to 5 feet high. Plant a bunch of strawberries in that first tier. Have holes all the way up both sides of the tower. Plant that. Plant a few strawberry plants up at the top. Let it cascade over. And then do, you know, follow the example that I saw in this catalog. Little piece of soaker hose. That's really inexpensive. And, uh, you know, that'll take care of watering it. And, uh, you know, put maybe some wheels little casters on that so it can be easily wheeled down to the greenhouse uh, in the winter time and that will do a couple things for me one I won't have to create another bed to plant strawberries with uh, in my yard two because I have a greenhouse using what I have I'll be able to have strawberries in December and January and they won't be these nasty looking ones that are in the store right now right because they and they're nasty because they've been shipped from Chile Alright, and uh, they just had to endure that amount of transport. Number three, when I leave This suburbanite area and go to Arkansas, I will be able to take the strawberry tower with me. So, all the years of growth that have, you know, the expansion of the root system, the improvement and yield will all go with me to a new location where it will do the same things for me there. It will be another uh, source of production that will be able to be moved into a warm area when it gets too cold for the plants. So, it solves a lot of problems. Something very similar to that. Again, making do with what you have. Uh, this December, early December, is still pretty nice in Texas. Went by a Lowe's. Walked into the uh, garden area, because uh, I'm very fond of it, obviously. And I see dwarf peach trees uh, on sale for 25% of cost. Or in other words, 75% off. There were only two left. I bought both of them. They're sitting outside getting their chilling hours right now. I'll get two great big deck boxes uh very soon. I'll plant them in that. They'll sit on my deck. They'll grow for a year or two until we move. We'll be able to move with them. We'll keep them a manageable size, and uh, what we'll actually probably do when we move is we'll go ahead and move them out of those deck boxes. They'll get used for something else, recycled, and those trees will get planted in the ground. Now, why don't I just take them to Arkansas and plant them in the ground? Because the deer will eat them. I won't be there to water them and fertilize them through their first year when they need to get established, and they'll have to endure that hot baking summer without anybody taking care of them. Also, since they'll be here and they're dwarf peaches, they'll probably produce peaches this year for me. On top of that, I have a fairly large peach tree in my yard. And even though peaches are self fertile, having more than one variety does increase your yield. So when they're in blossom, I'll actually just move them down in front of uh, the other variety of peach and we'll leave them there for a while to increase, increase fertilization both directions. And then we'll bring them back up onto the desk, back where they'll sit. So these are all ways that you can make do with what you have. Uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm almost at 40 minutes. This is my first show back after a vacation. wasn't really in the in the the vein to do a show today. And uh, honestly, with uh, with the rain and having to pick my dogs up from where we board them when we're out of town that long and things like that, uh, I think it's a good idea that we'll wrap up today's show. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a show on container gardening. And I and the reason I'm going to do this again, even though I've done the subject before, is I'm going to talk about five or six new things that I found to do container gardening with. I already did the strawberry thing today, so I won't talk about that, but I have found some great varieties of things that really increase the diversity of what you can do with containers for your winter gardening, or if you're in an apartment or a small area, what you can do uh, from a standpoint of, of doing things with containers. And uh, I, This week, I think I'm also going to end up doing a show later on. I did a show in the very beginning called Starting From Zero. I think I'm going to redo that show because the audio quality sucked back then, and we've we've picked up on a lot more things Going forward, and I'll probably try to throw something in on firearms this week as well. So we'll try to do a varied week. And I'm also looking forward to doing another listener feedback show. Here's how you guys can help me with that. Instead of sending me a topic suggestion, if you can think of a good question for me, just put in the subject line question for Jack and email me that. And I'll try to put that stuff together and compile another listener appreciation show or or listener uh, feedback or two shows because people seem to really like those. There's a lot of diversity and variety in those shows. So that's what I have planned for the coming week. So tune in again for another episode of the Survival Podcast where we help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream You can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent